Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, a priest of Median, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but the bush was not burning up. So he said, I will go over and look at this amazing sight to find out why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to take a look, God called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I am here. The Lord said, do not come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He then said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've certainly seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their cry for help because of their slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, indeed, the Israelites' cry for help has come to me. Yes, I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. This will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I say to them? So God replied to Moses, I am who I am. He also said, you will say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also told Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I am to be remembered from generation to generation. This is the word of our Lord. As we look at this text, we see Moses, who is the great prophet of the Old Testament, although he points to the greater prophet, Jesus Christ, leading, uh, being called to be a leader of Israel, specifically to lead them into the promised land. If this doesn't happen, the Savior would never be born in Bethlehem, as God would later promise to David, who was king of Israel when they'd taken over that land. There is a lot at stake. And yet, what is Moses' initial response? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses keeps asking God questions. And finally, our text continues, uh, uh, this conversation continues well beyond our text. When we get to chapter 4, verse 13, Moses finally just flat out says, Please, Lord, send someone else. You almost feel like as you read this conversation, when the uh, guy who is the ugly duckling asks the beauty queen of the high school out to the prom, and she wants to be nice, but she keeps telling him things like, well, I've got to get my nails done, and I've got a meeting with my girlfriends, and I've got to rotate my tires and change my oil. Any excuse to say I can't be there. Well, you really get that impression out of Moses. And you know what? Uh, I, I've seen it where... 
In a church, when a church needs a president, an elder, a Sunday school teacher, and, and the council asked me to approach them and ask them to do it, where the person can be just as reluctant to serve the Lord and their brothers and sisters in Christ. I got to get my nails done. I got to get my hair highlighted. I got to rotate my tires. I got to change my car oil. Just like Moses we have that way of saying, who am I that I should do the Lord's work? And you know, even without an official, shall we say, a call to serve, God calls us to serve our children. And it amazes me how often I've seen people who think, well, it's the church's job to educate them. And I think it's a decision that my child should make. So I'm certainly not going to give them any help in that direction. I'm certainly not going to bring them to the church either. Or, uh, so we see parents neglecting this completely. Who am I that I should do that? Or... God doesn't have to officially call you. He places you in your neighborhood and with your neighbor. And there are times God clearly is opening the door for you to testify to your neighbor. And we turn around and say the same thing. Who am I that I should do the Lord's work? So today we will answer that question, working through how Moses is trying to get out of it as God calls him to be the great leader of Israel. Now, the very first thing we want to clear out is uh, Moses didn't give this excuse, but, but we tend to. We tend to give pious sounding excuses to get out of serving. And lots of times, whatever pious way we put them, it basically boils down to we're saying, but I'm too big of a sinner to do the Lord's work. Jesus Christ, true God who became true man, is not calling you to be perfectly holy to do the Lord's work. If you and I could be perfectly holy, Christ would not have had to become a man and, and suffer for our sins. It's his blood that washes us clean. It's the Holy Spirit in our hearts that creates the new person to struggle with that sinful nature. You know what? In history, with the exception of Christ himself, who God the Father and God the Holy Spirit called to be the Messiah, every other human being ever called has been a sinner. And in our gospel lesson for this Sunday, Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. If you were a Jewish person, you resented Jewish tax collectors. They were turncoats because they fed the beast, the occupying force, the Roman army. And while they had to collect 15% for the Roman government, the government didn't care if they taxed you 30% and kept 15, per, and, and, and kept 15 of that 30% kept half of that 30%. As long as the Roman government got their 15, they were legalized thieves. So who did God call to be an apostle? A tax collector, a legalized thief. And you know what? He wrote the longest of the gospel histories. God called him to more than just being a disciple. But you look at the apostle Saul, he was persecuting Christians, arresting them to have them put to death. And this is the one who would, do the, would cover the most territory and be the apostle to the Gentiles. So if we're going to give pious sounding excuses, the roof will fall in if I serve, and they're all excuses to say I'm too big of a sinner, that doesn't cut it. Christ's blood is washed you clean. The Holy Spirit has given you a new person. Now, certainly if a person struggles and maybe has, has gone to jail for embezzlement, well, maybe we don't want to tempt them and ask them to be the treasurer. But otherwise... That I'm too big of a sinner is just a pious sounding excuse. That's just it. Christ washes our sin away and the new person in us is empowered to serve. Now we also have another sin. We have a sin in which if we do agree to serve, we want to go about it doing it our way. And Moses had had that problem. In fact, recall Moses was brought up in Pharaoh's household. So he was not brought up down with the enslaved Hebrew children, even though he was a Hebrew. Uh, and we're told in 
Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. After some time, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his own people. After he looked this way and that, and he saw that no one was there, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses took matters into his own hands and became a murderer, and he would actually have to flee. This is how he ends up being a shepherd to the priest in Median. Isn't it interesting, though, to think that at this time in history, archaeologists have found even if you were not related to Pharaoh at all, if you were adopted, you could definitely serve as what we would call today as cabinet, and you could even be in the lineup. Now, he'd be Pharaoh's adopted grandson, but you could be in the lineup to, be, to fill the throne of Pharaoh when Pharaoh died. So we see God had a plan that would have worked in a different way to lead the people out. And Moses kind of ruined the plan, but God knows all things and had a different plan to use Moses. We got to be careful that when we go about it our own way that we don't botch it. Now, lots of times we can go about it being a taskmaster ourselves. I want to crack the whip on this, this group of people. I'm going to force them to submit to my will. But you know, uh, Anytime that we're forcing somebody to go the way we want them to go, that's not the wooing and winning of the love of God. That's actually being a slave driver with the law. Now, what the law always does, the Ten Commandments of the Lord, even if, it's, even if we're using the law to our will and misapplying the Ten Commandments, it always shows us our sin. So one of the ways we can turn around and go about it our own way, just as Moses had messed up and murdered doing it, we can just become slave drivers. You have to do this. Here's a guilt trip instead of using the gospel. Now, another way that we go about doing it our own way, and this is an opposite extreme, is when we see a problem coming in the church, and clearly God is opening up the door for us to be part of the solution and we decide to ignore the problem and it will go away I have heard more than one person vent in, in about things in the congregation other people where they could have prevented a problem and say you can't always be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand I've seen myself whether it's in a congregation or whether it's just in life if you ignore the problem and hope it goes away, usually it has a snowballing effect and ends up running us over and making us worse. So as we look at that question, who am I that I should serve the Lord? Yeah, it's important that we recognize we are sinners, but God calls sinners to serve him and he washes our sin away. And we also got to recognize that we can't take matters into our own hands. We want to lead by the way God opens the door for us according to his word and neither be cruel slave drivers nor to turn around and, and say, let's just ignore this problem and hope it goes away. So let's answer the big question. Who am I that I should do the Lord's work? And if we look starting at verse 11 at our text, we're told, Then Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should then bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Then God responded, Because I am is accompanying you. And this is the sign for your benefit that I myself have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, that would be Moses and the Israelites, will serve God upon this mountain. Then Moses said to God, notice if I should go to the sons of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? Then what should I say to them? Then God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Then he said, you are to say this to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, if we ask, who am I that I should do the Lord's work? We have to recognize who we are working for. And this is the gist of Moses' question. Who has sent me? Who do I, what do I say? And you notice how God responds? We translate that as, I am. 
And later God says, I am who I am. Verb, the Hebrew word for who, verb. Now that verb for I am is an interesting thing. I don't want to bore you to tears with Hebrew grammar. Uh, in English, we have all kinds of tense. We have the pluperfect, the perfect, the past, the durative past, the present, the durative. We have the future. Hebrew basically has completed action and incompleted action. And by incompleted action, that's usually ongoing action. And when God says, I am who I am, or I am, he actually uses that one for, for ongoing or durative action. It's not good English, but literally he says, I continue being is accompanying you. And I continue being who I continue being. It's from this verb that we get the name Yahweh or Jehovah, which we often pronounce, or that we often, when we translate, write as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. God means something by this name. This is a very personal name by which God reveals himself in the Old Testament, and it means he exists in and of himself. As I said this winter, I serve a group 130 miles north, and there are many times I would have loved to have served them on a Sunday, but the interstate was closed and the roads were awful this last winter. I would have liked to, but circumstances beyond my control would stop me. But God exists in and of himself. There are no circumstances beyond his control. He's not some petty little God who doesn't have power unless we're all praying or worshiping to him. He doesn't have a devil as an adversary that's equal to him and maybe can trip him up and cut. No, God exists in and of himself. I continue being who I continue being. There is nothing to stop me from helping you, for I exist in and of myself. I am without beginning, without end. I am infinite. I am the one helping you. This is the one who's called you and I to serve. This is the one who knows that we're sinners. So we are serving a loving, compassionate, gracious God because he came down, took on human flesh to save you and I when we couldn't even save ourselves. And he's absolutely faithful to that covenant, which is spelled out in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So... Recognize who you're working for when you ask, who am I that I should do the Lord's work? The all-powerful God, that's the other most common name for him in the Old Testament, Elohim, which emphasizes that he's all-powerful, but he exists in and of himself. He's absolutely infinite. Nothing can stop him from doing what he wants to do. And he wants to save you and keep you saved. He wants you to work. So it's for him that you're working. Now, this God had a plan for Moses. And it's kind of interesting when you read Exodus to see how that plan works out. Uh, first of all, Moses is a descendant of Levi, uh, of the 12 sons of Jacob. That was all part of the plan. But isn't it interesting how the, God has the Israelites leave Canaan because Canaan, they're perverse people. And it's interesting today how perverse our society has become. He doesn't want them to grow up around all that sexual perversion and a few other things. So they end up uh, in, in Egypt where they worship false gods there too, but they're not sacrificing babies and, and just sexually just disgusting in their worship and everything. So, so he's going to bring up his people there where at least they'll have a, a little bit less of a sinful culture to destroy them. They won't be destroyed. But then the Egyptians try to physically destroy them. They get to be too much. So a pharaoh says, kill every firstborn child. Isn't it interesting? How, or kill every male child, not every firstborn child. Isn't it interesting how God provides Hebrew midwives who they won't follow that? 
They can't bring themselves to do that. And they're wise enough to recognize they tell Pharaoh, I'm not going to do it. Then these kids will end up being killed because he'll put somebody else in place. And isn't it interesting how then when it's going on that, that Moses' mother, she can't kill her baby. She can't throw him in the Nile River. And I'm going to tell you, any male or female that can murder a baby, something is wrong. But she also sees something special in him. So she puts him in, makes a little uh, ark for him, covers it in pitch using reed. And, and, and then she puts him afloat where the noble women of Egypt happen to go to bathe. And isn't it amazing how it just happens to be Pharaoh's daughter who comes to bathe? And isn't it interesting how when she finds the baby, she hears the squeaking. There just happens to be a, about a 12-year-old girl, this would be Moses' sister, Miriam, who just jumps up and offers to find a midwife and seems to find a midwife so quickly. And, and, and Pharaoh's daughter offers to pay her basically to raise up the child and nurse it. And it never occurs to her that this is a setup. I think Pharaoh's daughter had a warm enough heart that she just thought of love for the baby. And, and that's, that's an amazing thing. But God had all that plan. And, and so he was raised in Pharaoh's court and he would learn how to write hieroglyphics. But he would also learn, it's about 150 years old at this point, there's this functioning alphabet that the Canaanites use. And at this time, the other options besides hieroglyphics is, is cuneiform. And cuneiform and clay tablets has lasted to this day. It's amazing. But it's not as succinct. Until we invent the computer, there's not a better, more succinct way found to store information. And God's going to use this, that Moses, as he leads the people under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will write the first five books of the Bible. And isn't it interesting, as I already mentioned, in Pharaoh's court, how he could have even been Pharaoh, been part of his cabin, but, Pharaoh, but, but, but Moses messed that up. But in all of that, then, the Egyptians, they don't like, they weren't shepherds. They detested shepherds. And when Moses flees for his life, he who had been raised and, and knew the politics of being a leader now gets to actually shepherd sheep. And while shepherding those sheep, somebody else's sheep, and he's got to go after the wounded ones and, and take care of them and everything. He, he knows that there's water and he's got to even lead them across the desert because things must be drying up. Because it's pretty common still to this day, I'm told, for Bedouin sheep herders and stuff to, to go to that mountain range, which we now call Mount Sinai, uh, to, for, because there's, there's a, more water available there. So he's learned a new way of leading and he's become humble. He recognizes he is no longer a sheep. All of that God had in mind for the Lord. And even when it's time to call him, as we were told, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but that the bush was not burning up. So he said, I will go over and look at this amazing sight to find out why the bush is not burning up. God woos and wins him over with what is this curious thing? And we know it says the angel of the Lord, the Malach Adonai is the Hebrew word. John in his gospel begins his gospel saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. If you're a messenger, you've got a word. Jesus is the spokesman for the Trinity. This is the Old Testament's way of saying the son, the spokesman for the Trinity before he takes on human flesh. And look how he woos and wins Moses. And he does the same for you. And I look in your life where God planned the time that you would be born. If you were like me, you were born to Christian parents. Or maybe you're like other people where God made sure that you worked with the right co-worker or co-workers. Or had the right neighbor who themselves did not say, who am I that I should do the Lord's work. But loved you enough to 
share the word, whether it was parents or friends or neighbors, and how God wooed and won you. First of all, the law, which accuses us, you're, you're damned. You can't save yourself. Oh, that's scary what I do. But then he woos and wins. He says, this is why I took on human flesh. This is why I did the work for you. This is why I've sent messengers to you with my message. And then look at how he gives you the natural gifts. I stand amazed at my congregation how often, when we, I mentioned the winter, how often members, I'd come into church and members had already shoveled the sidewalk and plowed the driveway and stuff, natural gifts. But he gives you spiritual gifts as well. So he equips you to serve. Recognize who you're working for. This is the great I am. He planned all this out on purpose and he's there with you, blessing that and making it work. So you're not standing alone. But you know, what would happen if, and sometimes you hear comical stories about this on the internet, where a delusional, for example, and I'm not trying to condemn dog catchers, but if you were driving down the road, especially if you hadn't broken any laws, and dog catchers, usually they have more of a hazard of warning. They don't have the sirens that the police have, but you get pulled over and they tell you that they're gonna give you a speeding ticket. You would laugh, you'd say, whose authority? This is not your job. You're not a police officer. If we're going to work for the Lord, we have to recognize the authority that we have, right? And again, then Moses said to God, notice I, if I should go to the sons of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what's his name? Then what should I say to them? Then God replied to Moses, I am who I am. I continue being who I continue to be. Then he said, you are to say this to the sons of Israel. I continue being has sent me to you. Then God said again to Moses, you are to say this to the sons of Israel. The Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, Z uh, of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And the, this name is my memorial from generation to generation. The Lord, the one who exists in and of himself. We have a commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain because God's name tells us what he does for us. And God's name is revealed to us and what he does for us is revealed in the word. God's going to inspire Moses to write down the first five books of the Bible. Up until this time, it's been passed on by mouth, if you will. The authority Moses has is he's God's spokesman and he's to reveal God, God's name. And by, by revealing God's name, he's revealing God's actions to the people of Israel and God will take care of the rest. You and I, as messengers of the Lord, do not have the authority to make the message uh, our own, what we want it to say. We have to proclaim the law. It shows God's holiness. It shows our unholiness. But we have to proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ. We have to proclaim God's name. Our authority as messengers is to proclaim the message. It's not to be dictators. It's not to do what we want, but to do what God's word says. Sunday school teachers are to teach the word of God appropriate to that age limit. Church presidents, church elders, they are to fulfill that position with the authority of the word of God. And this is why I always tell you, don't believe something because Pastor Sherman told you. Be like the Bereans in Acts and search the scriptures because, believe it or not, I'm a sinful man. I have and I will get it wrong, as you will. And when brothers and sisters have come to me and said, Pastor, I don't think this is quite right, they've done it gently, I've been thankful. They, the one who has the word of God has the authority. And we have to be careful about that because throughout history of the New Testament church, there have been people who want to point to some holy ministry like the pastoral office as if that makes them inerrant and infallible. No. 
It's the one who's standing on the word of God that has all the authority. And they have all of God and all the power of his word standing behind them. Who am I that I should do the Lord's work? Know who you're working for. The great I continue being. The one who exists in and of himself. He's the one who sent you. And know that you have the authority as his spokesperson. You have the authority of the word of God. So when he calls you to witness to your neighbor. And you go, oh, I, I want to ignore this. Or hopefully he'll send somebody else. Recognize, no, God is sending you. You are working for him. And you have the authority of this word. Whether you're showing them their need for a savior. By showing them their sin. Or telling them they have a savior. Ultimately, today, what's the answer to the question? Who am I that I should do the Lord's work? You can say because of the word of God, a redeemed child of God. Amen. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.